continue in Ephesians then, shall we? time we were in Ephesians, I attempted to give the book an overview, at least the first three chapters. It, the book divides neatly into theology and, uh, and duology, right? Faith and practice, <laughs> the doctrine and the deeds. Uh, first three chapters deal with uh, theology and then the uh, latter three chapters deal with how should we then live. Title of a once famous uh, book by Francis Schaeffer. Let's, uh, let's read the first 12 verses, shall we? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Uh, Father, we are thankful, Lord, for the Holy Scriptures and desire, even as Christ said, that his words are spirit and life. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be with our hearts and minds, quickening us and ministering the life of God to us as we Read and receive thy word. Be with us, Lord. We pray that we might glorify our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a, it's a, a lot here. This is perhaps, uh, and this is a term we might have maybe negative thoughts about, but this is perhaps some of the floweriest language Paul uses. It's elaborate. I, I mean, we think of flowery language as a negative thing, you know, unnecessary words. But Paul is very elaborate here in 
what he's writing about or how he's writing. Uh, But none of it is unnecessary. None of it is wasted. And we want to uh, take the effort to really take hold of it, understand it, and receive it. Um, So there's a few things, a few main um, ideas to look at. I mean, there's so much in it. One is blessing. Uh, Verse 3, he's blessing God, eulogizing, right? We're all familiar with the term eulogy. That's a part of a of a funeral service, the eulogy, where people tend to speak well of the uh, deceased person, the eulogy. And, um, and that's what this would be, bless, you know, bless God. And he extols the goodness of God. Who hath blessed us? God has spoken good things concerning the Christian. So blessing is one thing we want to look at. Um, this other truth comes up, predestination. We want to try and gain some understanding of that. Uh, and in the middle, uh, the basis of all of this is redemption. Right? So three big things in which, at which to look in this uh, opening, this introduction that Paul writes. Um, Perhaps verse 12 is something that we should understand that sheds light on all three of those subjects, right? Last time we looked at it, we were identifying and tracing the plan of God as Paul lays out in Ephesians. The whole family in heaven and earth, Jew and Gentile, right? So Paul is giving us an overview of the history of the universe, (laughs) In Ephesians, that God is working from a beginning to an end. And that is one people in whom God dwells. And he takes it then, um, uh, the big new thing for the Jews in front of him and for the Gentiles was that there would be no more division between Jew and Gentile. It was huge in the first century. It was a new thing to the world. To become a child of God, to become part of the people of God, you had to convert to Judaism. And the, the biggest thing of that was that the males would have to be circumcised. If my knowledge of history is, is correct, they would have to be baptized and all of those things. But you would have to become a Jew. Um, there were the God-fearers, right? But there, there was a, a partition It's a very divided situation. In the temple, there was a court of the women, so the males and the females were separated. But the Gentiles were were at the back of the bus, so to speak. And and the Gentiles were used to it. And (laughs) it must be a strange thing to have been a Gentile, a righteous Gentile in those days, because you would have come to a belief in the living God, not the pagan gods, with their, temp, their idols and their, their unclean practices. And you realize, no, there's one creator God and there's no idol that represents him. And these Jews uh, who are uh, persecuted and currently you know, underling people have the light. And, and we're less than them. We, <laughs> we don't get to mingle with them. They won't eat with us. 
all of our practices are defiled and, and they're the holy people and we're kind of seconds. That must have been a very strange thing to have. You're believing that they have the truth and you're there as a literally second class in the kingdom of God, hoping that you will be accepted of God. Uh, not fully going the, the conversion route. Cornelius, right? A devout man. He feared God, gave alms, but he hadn't become a proselyte. He hadn't converted to Judaism. And here Paul, in that setting, Peter, when he preached to Cornelius, he says, not lawful for a man that's a Jew to keep company or eat with a Gentile. Can you imagine being that Gentile? And the Jews, the chosen people of God, you're so unclean, I'm not going to sit at the same table with you and eat with you. Um, What would that have been like? And to know that it's right. (laughs) That's how I should be treated by the people of God. must have been a strange thing. It's very hard to imagine. And Paul is now one of the apostles, one of the messengers to reveal to the world that uh, that was a temporary arrangement until God could fully expose what he's had in mind all along. One people. One people. Jesus uh, alluded to it in John's Gospel. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, the Jewish fold. But they're Gentiles. There shall be one fold, one shepherd. One new covenant with both Jew and Gentile in it. Neither male nor female. Barbarian, Scythian. No cultured and, and uncultured distinctions. No wealthy and poor distinctions. No male and female. No Jew and Gentile. All children of God. Spirits. Hallelujah. Uh, <clears throat> now, verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ is one of the stepping stones Paul is using to illustrate that because he's talking about Jews. Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted. So the people to whom Paul is writing are not among the people who first trusted in Christ. And so verses 1 to 12, that word we, 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 refers to those who first trusted in Christ, all of whom were Jews. Right? And that will shed some light on the um, use of the word predestined. Predestined. Because, and it's difficult for me to to read different commentators, you know, and and everybody has their bias. So you read an Arminian commentator and he says, the idea that this is talking about eternal election, blah, 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 is just nonsense. And you read a Calvinist commentator and this is a slam dunk on, you know, (laughs) predestination and and all of those things. And um, I, I try to avoid these dogmas and theological systems And just, Lord, what's your heart? What are you saying to us? What's the truth of this? And I'll give out a general principle that I think nature teaches and I think the scriptures demonstrate. Is that um, the way of God is to often present two seemingly contradictory concepts side by side. And that is what actually propels us forward. The fear of God and the love of God. Think of it. You need both. 
And so, uh, look at a bird, right? It's got a left wing and a right wing. Imagine a bird with one wing. It doesn't fly half as high. It flips in a circle. The balance of two wings thrusting in completely opposite directions is what lifts a bird into the heavens. And so to have a heart that fears God and loves God keeps you, the, the, the fear of God keeps you from, ah, you know, God loves me so I can just indulge in this sin. And the love of God completely consumes you so that you have no torment, right? See how they, you need both. And here the, the foreknowledge of God gives you security. But the, uh, the choices that you must make give you responsibility. And we need both. So, um, but the, the thought to remember there with these terms that he uses. And he means what he says, predestined and so on. I'm not going to try and rob them of their meaning. But I'm going to try to get at their meaning. They need to be understood in the context that Paul, in his first 12 verses, is writing entirely about Jews. And then, in verse 13, he includes the Gentiles, because he's laying out the plan of God. Uh, And therefore, we need to have a, a, a broader and fuller understanding of what he's saying. We know he's an apostle. He's writing to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. If I understand the apostle, what's happened is he's written the Colossian letter first. And he's writing the Ephesian letter. Um, He's in prison. And um, I don't know at what point he would have written the Philippian letter. But he's writing these letters. This is his first imprisonment, if I understand what's going on. He's already said to the Colossians, you swap with the Laodiceans. And he is um, uh, moved by the Spirit of God. He's writing epistles to specific churches, but he's writing them in a way that they can be uh, shared around. The Corinthian letter, although there's so much instruction for it, he's writing to the Corinthians. He has some pretty personal things to say to the Corinthians. And we learn from those things. His letter to Philemon is extremely personal. And to uh, Timothy. Titus, although he's writing to Titus, it's a bit more general. Uh, But the Ephesian letter was a letter written not so much for the personal relationship with the Ephesians, but like with the Colossians, to be circulated and read generally. And so he he doesn't get very personal with them. And he's... um, Expanding on some of the things of which he wrote in the Colossian letter. To the saints at Ephesus and more generally to the faithful in Christ Jesus, wherever they may be. And brethren, this is so important now to understand the heart of God. The first thing he has to say, and he starts his epistles like this, grace to you. This is God's heart. Grace. Really important. Uh, look, look at the, uh, his letter to the Corinthians. First Corinthians, chapter one, to the church of God at Corinth. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Now think about all that was wrong in the Corinthian church, and the first thing this apostle, this 
ambassador, this representative of Jesus Christ from the throne of God to them, the first thing he had to say to the Corinthians is grace. From God. God says to you, before he says anything else to you, grace to you. It's like um, King Ahasuerus holding forth the scepter to Queen Esther for her to touch it. Grace. You're acceptable. Come. If, as a believer, there are things that Jesus Christ wants to set right in your life, um, where you are not where or what you should be, they must be set right. But understand, his first words to you are not, you're a bad boy, you're a bad girl. His first words to you are grace. Grace to you. And the understanding of the Um, beauties that Paul writes of in Ephesians, they're based on grace. Uh, We have a picture in the scriptures of a mighty God, King of kings, Lord of lords, but benevolent, goodwill. He's generous, kindly disposed, affectionate, smilingly meeting out pardon, grace, salvation, life, healing. This is the offer. To each one. Even if he has some stern things to say. Things that need setting in order. It's from this fountain of grace and graciousness. I hope you can uh, get a vision and a picture of that. Grace to you and peace. Not enmity. Not tribulation. Peace from God our Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God, right? The the Psalms, uh, inspired by the Spirit of God, are totally internalized in Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his wonderful works, the children of men. Speaking to those um, uh, philosophers and and superstitious idolaters on Mars Hill, To the unknown God, whom you ignorantly worship, do I declare to you, right? God which made all things, and he left himself not without witness, filling our hearts with gladness, fruitful seasons. He he could start, blessed be God, he's made this wonderful universe, and, and he's about to get into what he's done for us in Christ. Out of his love, blessed be God, who hath blessed us. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now that us are the Jews, but then in verse 13, ye also. Right? So everything he's telling us about those first Jews that believe, the first fruits, we're included in that have believed on the Lord Jesus. Um. The understanding that he's writing here about the Jews in that context that first believed in Christ has several um, purposes for us. One is so we can trace the history of the will of God calling Abraham and then the Jewish people through Moses and then the prophets throughout until Christ as a Jew came and died for sins and then the gospel preached to the Jews first then also to the Gentiles and And all the lost people throughout the whole world that will turn to God shall be joined into one family. And so there's that from a historical point of view, from showing how God is working. 
but also it sheds light on what he means when he talks about being predestined. Because it was not only the Jews that are saved. And so we need to look at, uh, at that. But before we get there, let's look at these blessings. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Let's look at that uh, term uh, a little bit. Genesis chapter 22, to get a flavor for this, or, or a feel for it, what are we talking about? Or what is the apostle trying to bring us into? This is, uh, in Genesis 22, Abraham has offered Isaac at God's command. And there is, uh, there is a lot there. We are so familiar with it, and it has been expounded for us so often. That it can lose its power for us. Um, people have made it cheap. You know, you've got to offer up your Isaac. As a reference to that thing in your heart that you really love. That you don't want to give up. And it's a reference here. And yes, that's a true principle. But boy, to compare your um, obsession with your hobby or whatever it is to what Abraham went through is really to cheapen it. I know it, it's, yeah. So let us recognize what we're standing on holy ground. Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him for a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. I, I need to say, say this, although probably it doesn't need to be said here. Um, God spoke that plainly to Abraham. He does not say things like that to people uh, generally. This was an extreme situation and it was a once in uh, creation experience. So many people think they hear the voice of God telling them to do something crazy. And well look what he said to Abraham. And they, they, they do things and they're deceived of the devil. And they bring harm to themselves and dishonor to the name of Jesus Christ. These crazy religious people. What God has to say to you and me is written plainly in the Bible. And he's not going to tell you to do this and do that. And I'll spare you. We'll get to that maybe in chapter 6. It's part of the spiritual warfare. Satan pretending to be God. And undiscerning Christians. Thinking they have some special communication from God. Go and do something crazy or, or silly. Abraham was being tested. Yes, Abram's heart had uh, moved in his emotions and in his affections. Um, Isaac was a gift of God to Abraham in every way. But how he loved this boy. My son. At least 17 when this occurred. Uh, perhaps 30 or 33. Uh, Thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Whom thou lovest. This was the key. And uh, yes, God was testing Abraham. But God was also um, bringing his friend, as he is called by the prophet, into fellowship with himself. Because God was going to offer his son. Abraham did it in his heart. God wouldn't allow him to do it in, in real life. And 
The angel, verse 15, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, remember Ishmael, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. So we're brought back to Abraham here in, in Paul, from Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Hath blessed us, right, in heavenly places in Christ. It's this, um, inasmuch as his seed, in thy seed, shall all nations be blessed. Paul writes to us in Galatians, he saith not as of seeds as of many, but thy seed as of one, which is Christ. In Christ all nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God foretold Abraham. <clears throat> Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Notice the singular pronoun. Jesus shall put down all rule and authority and power in the end. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Uh, Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let's look at some material blessings. To get a a feel for what he's talking about. Because Paul doesn't list them out. He just says all. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. It shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God. To observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day. That the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kine, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessings upon upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And goes on. Now these are material blessings. But what Paul, what uh, God is speaking to Moses and through Moses is that every aspect of your material life is going to be blessed of God. To those who kept the law. Right? If you keep this law, and right? So love the Lord, the first one, I think in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Right? This is the first and great commandment. He goes on. 
And if you're diligently, out of that love for God, you're diligently keeping the Sabbath and all of these things, then God is going to bless them. Everything about them would be blessed. None of the diseases of Egypt would come upon them. Their bodies would be healthy and strong. Their their wives would have many children. Their cattle, their storehouse, their fields, everything would just be prosperous and overflowing with the blessings of God. That's the promise there. And it hinged on that little word, if. If you really take this to heart. That was the law. We're not going to get into that this morning because Paul's not getting into that. But he is alluding to this passage and this concept. But Paul, taking his words from Christ, in the world you shall have tribulation. Our bodies are going to be beaten and broken by the world at some point or the other. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. In the world ye shall have tribulation. It's physically. But we are blessed now with all spiritual blessings. We have the equivalent of this that we read about in Deuteronomy. In the spiritual realm. John writes about it in different ways. Um, You know, he alludes to it. Whatsoever we ask of him, we receive because we keep his commandments. Right? Um, Not the the, uh, Torah commandments, but chiefest of all, because we love one another. As he has loved us because we believe on him with all our hearts as he did and walking with God in that relationship loving the Lord loving one another this fountain of love that God is bubbling up in our own hearts whatsoever we ask we receive of him it's one of the blessings as he that saith he abideth in him ought himself so to walk even as he walked and we know that he hears our prayers right be thou plucked up and cast into the sea. It's, this, is the, this is the disposition Paul is getting at. Blessed. The kingdom of God going forward. Look at, uh, look at Paul. He's lived this. He's been in jail. Beaten. His back bleeding from stripes and bruises. Cast into a dingy dark dungeon. In the middle of the night he and Silas pray and think praises to God. Bodies are busted. Bruised, <laughs> but blessed, has all the authority of heaven. And uh, as he prays, God, God shakes the earth, the prison doors, you know, come, I guess the hinge and everything goes cockeye and the doors bust open. And, and uh, no, hey, we're still here. Gives him souls to be saved that very night. Blessed, wherever he goes, God's with him. He's ministering to one man earlier and this, this sorcerer is trying to oppose him. And, you child of the devil, God will rebuke you. And the man goes about you know, blind for a season. And of course now that turned the, the heart of the leader he was speaking to and he received Christ. This man was blessed with all spiritual blessings. He lived in them. Now brethren, that's what God wants for us. Right? That's, he's blessed all the, um, those Jews that believed, and us also, who've also trusted in Christ. This is what he wants us to understand and to walk in. Not some material prosperity where we're going to have lots of money. But where whatever happens, tribulation, persecution, peril, nakedness, sword, disease, anything, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Have the favor of God. We have no doubt that he hears our prayer. We have no doubt that we are accepted of him. We are accepted of him. 
that have trusted in Christ. He doesn't withhold the Holy Spirit. Victory over sin, the devil, and death ultimately is ours in Christ here and now. It's all part of your inheritance. I don't know if you've, you know, some people get these uh, cell phone contracts. And they're usually negative. And you find that out when you, you go to try and cancel a contract. And they, they, people that you're talking to say, well, you'll have to pay this fee and that fee. Has anybody ever heard of that kind of thing? Yeah. Read the contract before you sign it. Well, God's contracts are wonderful. Read them. You, you, you've got so much blessing that is yours. The forgiveness of sins. Well, we all know that one. We're all thankful for that. Paul expounds it in Romans. In fact, you know, right early in chapter 1, Paul says, I am sure that when I come to you, I am coming in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That's not arrogance. That's a man who knows how great God is and how richly God is blessed and how generous God is toward us. He'll say, I'm coming in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that great? We like to sing it, I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. Isn't that right? Sing it to yourself all day. It's the truth. Blessed. Can you imagine, see Paul, just to imagine in a carnal sense, you know, somebody sitting there you know, in his counting house, you know, with, with all the gold coins and running his fingers through it. And he goes from there to the banqueting table and he's looking at the splendor of the castle he's living in. And just think, wow, <laughs> praise God for all he's given me. Materially, well, spiritually, that's what Paul was doing. Praise God who's blessed us. What a wonderful God who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All of heaven is ours. More than con- He wasn't quoting Bible verses. He was writing reality. More than conquerors through him that loved us. And so he's, he's, not, um, he's not writing formalities. He's just like, <laughs> Paul's starting to write and he has to get in a glory hallelujah before he gets anywhere in his, in his uh, epistle. Blessed be God who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. And the theology of it is laid out um, there in Genesis and in Deuteronomy. This is a language that uh, uh, these are the scriptures that he's, he's interpreting for us. Blessed. Uh, you look there a bit more at, uh, at Abraham in Genesis, I think. Uh, 22. I don't know if we caught all the gist of it. Uh, there's more. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. I think in, it, maybe it's in chapter 17 earlier. He might have said it. No, no, it's, it's the one. It comes later. What's that? No, no, that's not what we're after. We read that already. In blessing I will bless thee, he says there in, in verse 17. But um, uh, in chapter in chapter twenty six, he says it again: "I will be with thee, 
and will bless thee. But he goes on further. We won't take the time to find now. Blessed is everyone that blesses thee. (laughs) And cursed is everyone that curses you. The blessings of God are so abundant that he's even going to bless everyone that speaks well of you. That's an overflowing blessing. This is what Paul is talking about in in all spiritual blessings. Paul is very clear. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings, not with all material blessings. Uh, Bodily health is a material blessing, amen? How many think bodily health is a blessing? I certainly do. Uh, But he's not blessed us with all material blessings. We might not always have bodily health, might not have it at all. Uh, But... All spiritual blessings. Hmm. And he's done it according as he, and here's, the, here's the, um, the predestination part. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us. So chosen in him before the foundation of the world, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, by Jesus Christ. Uh, we can go down further. Um, verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestinated. According to the purpose of him. And so. There, these are triumphant verses for your Calvinist. And your Arminianist will say. No, no, you've got that all wrong. And, and so they go back and forth. Um, I'm, I'm not wanting to really get into that. I don't like um, systematic theologies uh, precisely because I think they are human beings' attempts to put God into a box, however big, and however noble their intent, and however clever and correct they are in so many particulars. I think God is bigger than our theological boxes, um, regardless. I'm not going to sort this all out. Much greater minds than mine. And much, uh, men with much more revelation have addressed the subject. But I would like us to at least get more what Paul is saying here. And Paul is not here really getting into a debate between free will and fate. Right? And this is something that um, people... Atheists, materialists talk about these things. There are scientists today, atheist scientists, that don't believe anybody has free will. And there are theologians, um, not only um, Christian theologians, but Muslim theologians, that would believe the same thing, that there's no such thing as free will. And then there are at least Christian theologians, um, that would say, of course we have it, and naturalists and so on. And Paul is not addressing that here. He addresses that in his letter to the Romans. It's not what he's talking about here. And although I have spent a lot of time trying to, well, sometime anyway, trying to wrestle with that subject to, in a way to bring it forth clearly, we can at least look at the fact that's not what he's after here. Paul's talking about being predestined and foreordained and so on, has to do primarily with Christ. And that the blessings of God are in Christ. And that this wasn't an afterthought. 
God had this in his heart all along. He's not trying to say nobody has free will. And that people are just, these ones are going to heaven. I'm going to let them sin a lot first. But boom, and this one, this one, this one, this. He's not talking about that at all. <laughs> look at a, a few passages here. Let's look at, uh, at Peter, First Peter. To get a, a bit of a, a flavor. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 2, elect, accord, right, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered, right? Verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's key to understanding that general subject. You're chosen based on God's knowledge of you. Through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And he goes on and he talks about the prophets, verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. Verse 18, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God. That's more of a flavor there. Peter's saying Christ was uh, foreordained before the foundation of the world to be the king and to be the, uh, the suffering one, the one who bears sin. And the, the primary thought in all of this is that nothing took God by surprise. Now, this is really important to listen to. And these things, uh, to understand rather, that these things are, are in the public sphere and in people's minds. And they have been all along. Um, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Who's... You know, um, who hath resisted his will? Paul addresses those things. The idea that, well, God made me how I am, and so he's responsible basically for what I do, and he's either made me to be saved or made me to be damned, and there's nothing I can do about it, so off I go. This is an idea that's not new, and it's prevalent again in, in the public sphere. The scientist that I was, um, um, one or two in particular, thinking of, they believe, right, so their Big Bang theory, the whole universe is just a bunch of atoms and energy. And, and so are you. And all of your thoughts are just the result of that. And they're going to play out the way they play out. And your sense of making choice is just an illusion because you're just a result of this explosion way back in the day, right? And, and that's it. And you think you're making decisions, but... Even those thoughts are just a result of that explosion billions of years ago. And that's what they think. The idea that you have free will is just rubbish. I'm just telling you. That's where a university will get you today. Uh, not everybody. And some theologians have the same conclusion. And they just describe God instead of the Big Bang. He knows everything. And he made you. And so... Everything you're going to do has been foreordained and some of you are going to hell and some of you are going to heaven and God planned it all from the beginning and those that are chosen to go to heaven are going and those that are chosen to hell are going and that's it. And we can all go through the motions. 
And before you even try and logically refute that, you just know in your spirit that's not true. <laughs> it's just, um, say, well then, you know, and you can fight it all out logically. The fact is, and this is what the scriptures teach, everybody has choice for righteousness or for wickedness. The prophets, Ezekiel. Uh, in chapters 18 and chapter 33, right? Let's read a little bit of that. We'll get a little bogged down in this subject, but it's important because it worms away and erodes people's thinking. Satan takes truth and uses it to destroy people by twisting it into a lie. Ezekiel chapter 18, the word of the Lord, verse 1, came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Right? Our dad sinned, and now we're being punished for it. When that happens, a woman who is a drunk, an alcoholic, whatever you want to call him, drinking, while she's carrying her baby, and that baby comes out, with serious emotional and mental uh, and anger and all that, fetal alcohol syndrome, behavioral problems, because of the sins of its mother. <laughs> so the, this is what the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Our fathers sinned in idolatry and we're being punished. Remember, Ezekiel was a prophet. He was a priest who had been called to a prophetic ministry as a captive in Babylon. They're carried away. What happened to all these blessings? As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, and he lists a whole lot of things, he hasn't done this, hasn't done that, verse 7, he hasn't oppressed anybody, You know, he's done all of this righteousness, hath walked, verse 9, in my statutes, has kept my judgments. He is just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord. If he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and doeth alike, and he goes through, um, given forth upon usury, he shall die, verse 13, his blood shall be upon him. Now, lo, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins which he hath done, and considereth and doeth not such like, Right? He shall surely live. Verse 17. As for his father, because of his sins, he shall die in his iniquity. It's very clear. Right? So you've got this man, and he's righteous, and he does all this righteousness, he'll be saved. His son goes off and is a wicked sinner, he'll be damned. And his son, if he thinks, wow, dad did a whole lot of wickedness, I'm not doing that, and he follows the Lord, he'll be saved. That's... The scripture is pointing out, you choose. That's the thing. And the person who gets bogged down to, well, God's determined it all, so what's the use? Is being very foolish. You have fallen into a trap of Satan. God might be so intelligent that he knows what choices you and I will make, but he's still given you and I a choice. And you and I make the choices that we do. There might be influence, but at the end of the day, you and I still make the choices that we do. And it's on those things which we will be judged. 
And so Paul, he is not, there's so much more we could look at on this, on this subject. And maybe while we're there, we'll, we'll content ourselves. How are we doing time-wise? Yeah, we'll content ourselves with this. I have a lot of scriptures here. Um, <clears throat> let's look at Matthew 13, shall we? This is perhaps the, the simplest. It's a vast subject, and I'm not going to sort it all out. <clears throat> I don't think any human is, but some will get a lot further than me. That's for sure. <clears throat> Matthew 13. This is after the parable of the sower. <clears throat> Verse 10. Why speakest thou unto them in parables? His disciples asked him. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they, seeing, see not, and hearing, hear not. Neither do they understand, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now, <clears throat> the, the Lord uh, uh, Matthew is writing, and he's recording the Lord's words. And the, here we have a reference to the passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Where he says, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And he says, go and tell this people. Um, and we could read the passage. It's worded differently in, uh, in Isaiah. And there's, a very, there's some very simple reasons for that. Well, there are some reasons. Some are more complex. Some are more simple. Um, verse 9, verse 8, you know, whom, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. That was a reference. I think that was fulfilled during the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the carrying away into Babylon. And it had further an ultimate fulfillment under Christ. And that's what he says. So he was fulfilled. And how long? Until Jerusalem was completely destroyed by Titus. Later, because the people's hearts had waxed closed. And Isaiah, do you notice how it's put in Isaiah? Make this people's um, heart wax fat. And says, if God is doing it. But Paul has explained those things, as has the prophet. Right? Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Now, how was Isaiah going to do that? And this is why, so what you have is a Hebrew passage, 
in Isaiah, translated literally into English. And in Matthew, you have what the Lord quoted from the Hebrews passage. Translated either by Matthew, after he had written his gospel in Hebrew, or by a later scribe translating Matthew's gospel, using the Greek translation, so have gone from Hebrew to Greek. And it's interpreted because um, so many of us don't understand the Hebrew idiom. We don't understand what it's saying. Make this people, the scriptures are so full of these examples. Make this people uh, to, to you know, have their eyes fat, their heart fat, their eyes wax dim. And it's a chain reaction. Perhaps the best explanation of this is Job chapter uh, 2, I think. Uh, We don't have to go there. I'll just draw on your memory. Remember what happened with Job? And by the way, that's not meant uh, uh, totally literally. It's just put in figurative language for us to understand. God is holding court. The devil comes and goes and tricks God into punishing. That's not going on at all. We're meant to think. And it's put... In ways that stop you to think. The sons of God came and Satan came among them. And God said, hast thou considered Job, my servant Job? We all know the story, right? We've all read it. And Satan says, oh, you've blessed him. You put forth your hand now and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord says, all right, he's, he's in, in thy hand, but don't touch him. And his children die, his cattle's gone, everything. And Job says, uh, The Lord giveth, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Satan comes back, you know, and the Lord says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? None like him fears God, though thou movest me to destroy him without cause. You can read it later this afternoon. Satan was the one that attacked Job. And God says, you moved me to destroy him. God's saying, I did it. But God didn't do it. Satan did it. This is an explanation as to what things mean. Uh, When Isaiah says, make this people's heart wax fat. It's not like Isaiah was going around waving his hands at people and they became corrupt. (laughs) It's a chain reaction. Satan attacked Job. God allowed it. And God presents it. Yeah, I did it. It's to get us to understand how, what those terms mean. When, some, when it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's not like Pharaoh was some, oh, I'm just so sorry for my sins. And I want to be saved. And I want to stop doing this wickedness. And God comes in. Nope, I need someone to do this. And you're going to hell, buddy. And just hardens his heart against Pharaoh's will. That's not what it means. hope we understand that. Paul expounds it in Romans chapter 1. And we can can look at that very quickly. And, oh dear, yes, this is such a deep subject. I I should have known. I'm not going to just waltz through it. But anyway, we'll spend a few more minutes. Romans 1. Because that, verse 21, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, Their foolish heart was darkened. All right? Notice what happened. So they weren't thankful. They, when they knew God, became vain. 
and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Right? That's the thing. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God let him go. God withheld the grace that would have prevented this man from being consumed with evil because his heart was set on it. That's what it means when it says God hardened his heart. And Paul shows that quite clearly. And you can see these things in the scripture. They're meant to stop us and make us think. And that's why the Lord's words are put this way. That's why he presents Isaiah's words this way. Because that is what they mean. Right? Uh, verse, uh, we're in Matthew 13. This people's heart is wax grows. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Well, I thought it says, go and shut their eyes. Yes, lest they see with their eyes. What does he mean? By speaking truth to these people whose hearts are set on wickedness, you will cement them in their wickedness if they will not repent. What happened to the Lord Jesus? John, uh, the, the uh, feeding of the 5,000. They saw what the miracle he'd done. They, came to, they were going to force him to be a king and so he went up on the mountain and he sent them away. Remember? That's John, I think, chapter 5, 5 or 6. And then he comes down, he walks on the water, gets in the boat with the men. They're at the shore, and there they are the next day. And the people said, Rabbi, you know, when camest thou hither? And he said, you seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. You didn't perceive what I was doing. They did see the miracle. But they responded to it from a material perspective. Jesus went about doing good. He healed. Um, And they didn't see that this was a fulfillment. Though he read the scripture, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to heal the sick, to open the eyes of the blind. And he went around doing those things. And they had eyes that did not see. They saw the miracles. What do we? This man doeth many miracles. If we leave him alone, the Romans will come. Remember? They saw, but they did not perceive. They heard his teaching, but they did not understand. They didn't hear. And because of that, because, why didn't they? Now, brethren, this is really, really important for us to get a hold of. At least for our own souls and also to confront people who are in Satan's trap on the thing. Men and women, boys and girls are responsible for their own sins. Don't blame God for what you do. Or the devil. You and I make our choices. Jesus asked them questions, right? Um, You could pick one at random. Uh, The baptism of John. Was it of heaven or of men? And they didn't say, oh. What is the truth of God here? We want to get this right. And 
and follow John if he was a righteous man. They said, hmm, if we say of heaven, then he's going to say, why don't you follow him? But if we say of men, then we're going to get in trouble. So we better dodge this. Uh, we don't know. Do you see the wickedness in their hearts? They were always going to try and catch him in, this, in his speech. So their hearts were corrupt, unchanged, evil. And if the Lord were to enable them to see him as Messiah, what would they have done? They would have forced him to be a king and say, all right, now go get the Romans. They would have believed he was the Messiah and still had evil, murderous, covetous hearts. And the merciful thing, their last hope of salvation, was for him to speak to them in parables so that they would have to go and search out the truth and in so searching may repent and find eternal life. It's not that I don't want them to be saved, so let me make sure they can't understand what I'm saying. It's a ridiculous idea. You who have turned from all sin to follow me, to you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to those that haven't, the nicest thing I can do for them is to make them search. That's the thing. To him that hath shall more be given. To him that hath not shall be taken away. So it's given a little bit. It's given a parable to seek it out. And if he says, ah, I can't be bothered with that, then he'll have nothing at all. But if he will take the trouble, he will find eternal life. We've had a, a, a bit of a discourse here on this very difficult subject. But the key uh, for us in it is to understand God knows what you and I will do. But God has still given you and I the choice. And he won't take that away from you. You can choose to seek the Lord, or you can choose to uh, walk away. There's so much more on that uh, subject, but it boils down to that. Here we are in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. This is not um, uh, primarily about a Calvinist versus Arminianist Doctrine Paul's getting at. We mention those things because we must. He's saying that in Christ, in thy seed, shall all nations of the earth be blessed. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That those that would be in Christ would be holy and without blame in love. And he's blessed us with that and he's now he's blessed you with that. He's predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Again, this is not, and aren't we the few lucky ones and too bad for the rest of them. He's saying that God had determined before the foundation of the world that men and women would come to life in Christ. <laughs> and whoever would believe in Christ would be uh, an adopted child and would be holy and would be unblameable in love. That this God of blessing and goodwill, that's his point. And that this was all God's initiative and God's idea. It's not that you and I don't have to respond from our own choice. 
It's that God who is rich in mercy, is say another one in, in chapter 2, for his great love wherewith he loved us. I hope I haven't just talked us in circles. It's, it's, a, it's a challenging subject to grasp. It, in, eternity, eternity is a big subject. Infinity is a big number. It's bigger than my mind. And these, these things, um, people wrestle with them all the time, and they're still wrestling, and I don't think mankind's really made any more progress. Paul settles it as well as it's possible to be settled. Whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. And I'll close on that subject with this little illustration. Uh, I've mentioned a number of times, you know, I used to coach cricket. And I was never a very good player. Well, I was a completely useless player as a boy, and I learned to play enough for the boys to respect me as a coach. But um, So I was definitely not a gifted player, and I could understand their problems because I had similar problems and how to solve them. You know, but I won't get into that. But God did give me a gift as a coach and how to um, help these boys develop and, and, and win. And he also did give me the ability to pick a good team. (laughs) To see beyond their skills or lack of skills. And to see actually what was in them. Whether they could be champions or not. God gave me that ability. I could see that. And so when I would have tryouts. They're watching them. They're warm up. They're stretching. What they're doing and so on. And as we go through. I had foreknowledge. Now, understand what I mean. This is a perception that any human being can have. This is not some great superpower. But, I mean, God gave me a gift like he's made some people very good at art and some very good at math and some very good at music and some good at all those things and some was not good at any of those things, but very compassionate and generous and so on. You know, he's distributed those normal human faculties. And he, he gave me this ability to perceive what was in them. And... Uh, So I would let them go through the whole trial. But I knew right early, right at the start, I knew the team. I picked the team already in my mind. I had foreknowledge. But I can tell you, every one of those boys could have been on the team. Based on what they chose, what they did. And I chose a team based on foreknowledge. I had a boy, came from one school, he told me. And we had beaten them in the finals the year before. He said, I don't remember you on the team. He said, sir, I wasn't good enough to play in the finals. That's why he didn't see me. I made him the captain. He won the championship that year. He beat the school that he wasn't good enough to be on their championship team, on their finalist team, as a captain of my school. I saw a champion in him. But evidently, the other coach didn't. <laughs> See, that's what we're talking about. I, I, now, it's a, it's a meager illustration, but you get the idea. I had one boy, um, his two brothers had been former champions. And so here he comes for the tryout. And uh, I said to him, you're too lazy to be on my team. Go home. I don't care who your brothers are. His brother, one of his, the second, came and begged me. Sir, I said, no, he's not going to no. God, no. Anyway, he's much, much pleading and so on. He came with me and said, I tell you what. 
He can, uh, he can be on the team. He's never playing in a game. Tell me right at the start. He's going to score keep every game. And he's got to come to every practice and work hard. And that's what he did. So I took him on the team. He never played. He had to practice. He had to come to every practice. He worked hard with the boys. And uh, by the end of the year, I said to him, if you had started with this attitude, you would have been on the team as a player. Grade nine boy. And he spent the whole summer practicing with his brother. They lived in a, a, a condominium. And they're playing cricket in the basement, you know, in the hallway. It's a long hallway. It's about straight bowling. You know, bat, and it hits the doors and whatever else, you know. Practice all summer long. I made him the captain the next year. And he won the championship. He was a mediocre player. He was a mediocre batsman, mediocre bowler, mediocre fielder. And he led the team victory based on his response to truth. How would you like to be told by a coach of a championship team? You're too lazy to be on my team. Go home. <laughs> but he took it. He worked out. You could talk to these boys like that. They're from Pakistan. I was a softy compared to what they're used to. One boy said, sir, you are too soft. They will not respect you. Uh, foreknowledge, you see. God, now this is a, a, a meager illustration, but it captures something of the truth. God knows us. God knows us. And he says, whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed, the image of his son. And brother, sister, friend, child, you can choose to follow Christ. And you must. You must. It's a commandment of God. He's given you that ability, that power. Jesus said, it must needs be that offenses will come. Yes, the negatives have to be fulfilled. But woe unto that man by whom they come. Why? Because he chose them. And you don't need to. Someone else will be the negative prophecy. Fulfill them. You don't have to be Judah. Someone else will take that spot. You be a Peter or a Paul. Even a Thomas. And here, God having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, like God rubbing his hands, if I can say that about God, in delightful, delighted anticipation of the blessings he's pouring on you as you believe on his son. He's called, he's presented Christ. And look, this is a thing. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Wherein he's abounded toward us. God seeing beforehand the plight that we would be fallen into. Through our own folly. First through Adam's. But our own willful choices of sin. And God nonetheless rubbing his hands in delight. I'm going to provide a remedy. Well, Christ's going to come and bear all their sins away. And I'm going to renew them unto myself. And Jesus having uh, anticipated that said. This is my body broken for you. It's my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. It's all part of God's plan. <laughs> he knew we'd get into trouble. And he'd already had the solution for us. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Heaven is yours. 
Now, ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Let us come with all our hearts, all blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. What Name them, name them. Lord, I've had such a pain in my heart, child. I provide complete healing in Jesus. Lord, I need this done. I love this one. Ask and it shall be given. Jesus said this. Simon, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. I know you're going to be fine because my father's given me what I've asked for you. Do you believe it? You know it's said of George Mueller. A, a sinner like you and me saved by grace. That every single person he prayed for in his prayer notebook got saved. The last two at his funeral. You're praying for someone? Pray in the spirit. Pray in faith. What happened with Abraham? Who was Abraham praying for when he was interceding for Sodom? Who was really on his mind? Was he worried about the Sodomites? Come on if you know. Who was it? What's that? Lot. Lot. Did God know that's who he was really after? Yeah. Did God hear him and save Lot? Yeah. See? Did Abraham realize it? No. Abraham got up, looks, and the place is up in smoke. But he had what he asked for. And brother and sister, you who have believed on the Lord Jesus, you are blessed like Christ. You're one of his children. Ask and you shall receive. All spiritual blessings. That's why Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. And here Paul Paul writes how how this all was accomplished. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. This is where it all starts. Christ's body broken for us. His blood shed for us. Ah. That we might be part of his family. Brethren, receive it. Like a babe with its mother's milk. Like a child receiving a gift. Just believe on him. With all our hearts. And walk in that blessing. Brother Dave, would you rise and give thanks for the, the elements of the partake?